This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Well, let's go ahead and get started, and uh, welcome back, 2021. We're here. We're, we're here, and uh, we're going get, to get Not Another Church Podcast kicked off for this year, and we kind of wanted to start with talking about the importance of the Bible and reading the Bible in everybody's life. And I think that oftentimes people get super wrapped up in, you know, finding us the secret to spiritual growth or this thing, that thing. And it ultimately, every time real growth comes from spending time in God's word. It's and, funny how all those like those little pamphlet books you get, like seven secrets of studying God's word this year. And it all comes and there's another book that has, you know, five, five truths, whatever. Like, it all has numbers. Tools. It's, 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 all, numerology. Like, it's, all, it's all literally like what's on that little page. Like it's, right. it's all what's on there said differently. Like it's all the same thing. <laughs> yes. Well, and if you, if you read and the first person who ever had the good common sense to write it down was Augustine, how to read God's word. And it's almost like every hundred years in church history, we had to, to just rip off that guy yeah, right. and kind of modernize the language a little bit. Yeah. And so you, you have this reoccurring theme through, throughout the 2000 years of Christendom where somebody made a name for themselves saying, hey, revolutionary, let's read the Bible and actually take it for what it says. Yes. And so... Uh, I, I think that I wanted us to start out and, and just reemphasize how important it is and kind of touch on a, a, a theology, a doctrine of the priesthood of the believer and how every individual Christian is going to stand in front of their Savior and they're going to be judged for their Christian walk. They're not going to be judged on... I can't stand there as their pastor with them and go, now listen, they, they had a lot going on in their they life. They had a lot going on. He didn't mean issues. it. He did not mean it. There were childhood problems. <laughs> yes. So I think it's important that, um, and I can't tell you the number of times of people who have come to this church and said, well, I'm leaving um, Schmuckatelli's chapel because uh, I just didn't feel fed. Or they leave here and say, I wasn't just being fed. And, and I want to jump up and down on a trampoline and wave my arms and say, after you get to about nine months as a human, you're responsible to feed yourself. Why do we think that's any different in the Christian walk? Well, out of curiosity, how many, uh, uh, for y'all in your background and growing up in church, how many of you were... Did anybody sit down and invest time in teaching you? Not just, I had wonderful teachers growing up. Let me just say that in different aspects. But how many of them tried to show you how to feed yourself? Outside of like, probably like maybe Sunday mornings, like Sunday school stuff, like outside of like those typical kind of things, probably not until I was like 17, 18, did, did a, a student pastor really sit down with me and say, like, hey, do you know how to study God's word? Like, and, it, and it's so... There, like, there are different tools. There's different methods that are essentially all saying the same thing. And so, finding one that works for you, finding one that works for like how you how you learn, like me, like I'm just I'm kind of a weird between like listening and visual. And like, if I can listen to it, read it, and then go back and write it down, like I have to have like kind of a perfect blend, and that's how I regain mm -hmm. things and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so, finding that one that works for you, like it took a little bit of kind of hey, this doesn't work for me, or hey, this is kind of a sweet spot that works for me. Uh, and but I didn't really get that kind of 
of somebody really set that example for me until I was probably 17 or 18 no, when but, a pseudo pastor know, took me down and showed me how to kind of, hey, this is how, how you might explore this. Okay, so I grew up with people who genuinely, we studied the Bible, read it, talked about it, but no one ever sat down and no one had trained them. I will say that most likely that this, you know, by the way, here are some helpful tips from people who are far more intelligent than say I am, you know, that says, here's some ways to help you as a study tool, as you're reading through God's word. Well, as a new believer, you know, words if like you're going to take it, were, if you're gonna take it and just oh, and pop that bad boy open in Genesis, Oh gosh! You're, I mean, and so like that. But any like, but how do I read books? Well, I started at the beginning. I mean, that's how people read books. Right. And so if I pop that bad boy open to Genesis and read until if I get and I get the Lamentation, it's like, man, this thing. Well, this you is don't even rough. have to get that far. You get into like Genesis 11, where the Bagots get there. And yeah, you're like, and it's like, what, what, what is, is this? this? <laughs> you have no idea. And so, and he, what's this important for? Yeah, and, that, yeah. and so while that seems weird, like that's something that again, any new believer that has no context in Christianity or no background was like, well, I was we're just gonna pop this bad boy open from the beginning and that's not exact that for a new believer that's usually and you may pre- not prescribe but you may advise something differently like i would point us directly to one of the gospels sure. like, let's know this first right but how about even the concept that like okay so in school i'm learning to read books and i'm mm-hmm. learning to mm-hmm. read words and use them in context and things like that how come i didn't take that and apply that to my bible reading i didn't but then my textbooks didn't have each sentence numbered you know right. yeah. I, right. it, it wasn't broken down the same so mentally i wasn't seeing it the same as i was yeah, like sense. a regular right. book you know it looked totally different and so when someone took you know um i hate to uh, any verse any verse out of the bible and takes that and pulls it out of context, right. I, I had no clue that that could be uh, misleading. Right. Oh, absolutely. Or an error, you know. I, I remember distinctly being at Sanford and being in a literature class where they do chapter and verse uh, and the, the the professor struggling to teach all these students. Okay, so what this is trying to say is in this, and I, I'm like sitting there going, this is my jam. I, I got this. I yeah. know what we're doing here. Um <laughs> But to answer your original question, I, I, I was unusual in that Randall Reeves um, did sit down, and I was probably 13. Uh, we used a program called Proteins that had a very specific, you read, you take notes, and then, like, as, in my case, my accountability person was Max. You had, a like, as a seventh grader, I had a ninth or tenth grader whose job it was to oversee and make sure that I was doing what I was doing. And then that ninth or 10th grader had a senior who was looking over him. And so, um, and and honestly, I look at that youth group and how many people are in full-time Christian service now. And it's a, it's jarring that what a high percentage of that group, I mean, I can sit here and just rattle off names, but I think that's one of the reasons why is because that particular program taught you early on this is how you read the Bible. And we actually, as a 13-year-old, walk, talked about genre and, and... But see, that's intimidating. When you start using these type of things and we start looking at your basic average uh, you know, person in the pew, I mean, when they start hearing us talk about that there's a way to read the Bible, it feels intimidating. Like I'm not that, you know, they either say I wasn't that good in school, I didn't do that great in uh, literature classes or, you know, whatever. And they start feeling intimidated without realizing that where we're going is actually just pretty simple tips. And, and I will say that one of the most stressful things is to have to start at the beginning in something that you should already know. Yeah. yeah. People feel like, I, and I can give you a great example. We had a, 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 a water leak at the house. And so 
and I've had a couple of other men say the same thing, that going to Lowe's, to the plumbing section in Lowe's, is one of the most stressful events for a man because you feel like you should be, you know, that Ron character, that when a guy comes up and says, hey, can I help you? You look at him and say, I know more than you just walk away from me. But you're sitting there and you're looking at like an offset hitch connector with a, a three quarters going to or a half maker line. And, and, and you're just looking at all these crazy elbow joints and vampire taps. And you're like, I don't know what any of this does. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I didn't know PVC could be put into that many different shapes. <laughs> right. And, 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 and you, the guy, the, you, the little plumbing helper guy will be like, so, you know, from like 1982 to 1985, they use this kind of piping and then so what how you're i don't know what there's not a decal on the outside of my house that says what year it was built i don't know it's not like a renewed tag sticker on it like i don't know what's going on here and so because because you're a man you feel like you should know yeah and so that makes it more stressful especially being in the south down here we see that a lot everybody thinks that because we are um in the bible belt they already know their bible Right. And uh, so uh, yeah. you will have people who maybe is, have they've taught a Sunday school class for 10 years, and yet their Bible reading methodology is to flop it open to whatever it opens to and then wonder why that's not feeding to them or I can't understand what it's saying. And I will say there's some parts of the Bible that are very difficult to understand. Most of the Bible is pretty clear. I would mm-hmm. say if you're going to do your daily devotion, maybe the middle of the book of Daniel is not where you want to start. Well, and like we've talked about before when we've done Revelation <laughs> study, it's like, so I guess you, some people look at the Bible as this big, scary, like you look, I think like, I think of the huge one that was standing like the, the, uh, the, 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 like the Lord's supper table at the foot, at the, at the foot of the pulpit, like the huge one right. that was always flipped over to a new chapter each week. Like I would, you think of that one, it's just huge and scary and like, it's just so in depth and all these things. Like we've talked about in revelation, there's a lot of stuff that you take it for what's there and what's not there is what's not there. And, and, right. and, and I feel like that was something that I had to develop that, you know, as a young, as a young pastor or, or pseudo pastor trying to figure things out, like I realized that I, I can have the want to, to want to know everything and know all the context and it could be this and it could mean this, but you know what? Sometimes the reality is, and I have to rest in that, that God put what's there for a reason and he didn't put what's yeah. not there for a reason. And so I should focus on what's there and not speculate and stress out and rat, try to get confused and wrap my head around what's not there. You know why? Because it's not there. And as as Christians, we do get suckered a lot by this, the secret, you know, you, the latest fad was the numerology that went around maybe five years ago. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's flipping out about, well, if you take all the letters in, in, and they're in Hebrew and each letter is actually a number and you do, and it's like. Didn't that I, play off the Tom Hanks movie? What was that? The, the Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. You know what? I don't have to do all that. Romans 6 is gives me enough to do to fill a lifetime in, <laughs> in just straight English. So yeah. I, I really don't need to know what any secret codes are. And personally, I've never liked numbers a whole lot. And I didn't like math. <laughs> I don't want to do any more of it. That's right. Personally. I certainly don't want to do numbers. And when, and when we started doing algebra and they started mixing numbers with letters, I was all the way out. I wanted no part of that. So well, I, don't, I don't want to rehash that again. I just don't. And, and I will say that... that Sometimes in the Christian world, we're so used to preachers who, and I'm trying to be delicate here, but it feels, makes you feel really smart to come up with some kind of new way to look at something. Yeah. 
It's like the new perspectives on Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're used to these preachers who come up with analogies and and ways to look at things that's not replicatable in the pulpit. And so people walk away and say, I can never, it's so deep and complex, I could never do it. And I remember even hearing words, you know, and it, it took a little bit of time, but hearing, starting to hear larger words, soteriology, eschatology, you know, all that kind of stuff. As I started hearing those words, I remember thinking, I can't do that. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is. And then as I realized, it's just somebody's come up with a name for right. what they're doing. They're, they've come up with a name. It's a little bit different. It's out of my normal vocabulary. But once I start to learn what it means and how to use it, then it becomes norm. Sure. And, and a lot of those kind of terms, just like in any profession, a plumber, a carpenter, a any profession is going to have terms that they use so that they can tightly define things. Right. And so the same thing for professional theologians, they've come up with these terms that to, so that they can tightly say, this is specifically what we're referring to. What Where the problem comes is when non-professional theologians like preachers start using those terms and I'm not saying that they're just, I'm not trying to make everybody look wicked, but as a way to make themselves look and feel smarter and bigger. Superior. And, and so then it does give the, the, the kind of the impression that the Bible is outside of reach for the average common guy. Right. And I can honestly say there is no book um, that has passed down through the ages that is more accessible to the common person so that someone who spent their entire life in a theological background could easily be taught by a meemaw who has just spent her life in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of God's word is, is that it ha- was written by, by kings and handmaidens and professional priests and and professional sinners. And so it's, I think the first step to really getting the Bible is to realize that the Bible, even though it is a Latin word for book, is not a book. It is a collection of 66 different books. And so each one of those books um, is written by an individual that, that for almost all situations, we know their background, we know who they were. Uh, I think I'm Wednesday night teaching on one of those exceptions. We don't have no idea who Obadiah is. He doesn't say there's no history behind it. He just says, hey, Obadiah's got something to say to the people of Edom. I'm going to write it down. And that's all you got. We don't know who he is. He could have been a janitor at the temple. We, we don't know. <laughs> yes. um, but usually we know who that person is. We know the background behind it. And a lot of these guys are just down to earth normal people. And a lot of times they're down to earth redneck people who, if you go back to the original language, one of the beauty of seeing things in the original languages is that um, John, for example, uses horrid Greek. He writes like some of your most ignorant friends write their Facebook posts. And because Greek is not his first language, and he's he's really struggling, and so sorry, Tom, <laughs> Tom, okay, but it's true, it's true, it's true. Um, so it, it is down to earth, it is accessible, and I, I think that that I, the first step to getting into God's word is. Uh, just reading it, which is leads me to one of the questions that I'm very commonly asked as a pastor, and I as painful it is for me to open this can of worms, I want us to talk about translations. <laughs> oh. Me- uh, message oh. only. Message only. Yeah. That's it. 
I, I actually had a very heartfelt letter uh, that someone wrote me this week that was trying to convince me uh, why KJV only was, oh, and for those of you that don't know, King James Version only, uh, why that that's, that is the version of the Bible that, um, that clearly Jesus used and that's the only one that speaks to Americans. Um, and, and, and you know what, he, 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 he was very sincere. And in his mind, he was trying to save my ministry because I, was, I pre typically preach from the ESV. Um, so what, if somebody uh, comes up to you and says, hey, what translation should I buy? Uh, I had probably three people. I want to buy my, my husband, my wife, a Bible for Christmas. What translation do you recommend? So what do you tell them, Donna? My pastor says. <laughs> That's what it begins with. Pastor Tom recommends. Uh, a good study Bible. Um, we use the ESV here at church, so I recommend that to those who are within the church. And I tell them it's a good um, version to start and begin with as they're reading. Um, sometimes I have, I grew up in a church that was um, very strongly KJV only. Mm. Um all of my life. That's that's all I knew. If and the king ain't on it, the king ain't in it. No, and it wasn't until I got a good bit older and was curious about my faith and curious about everything that I started to ask the questions about, well, you know, if it's KJV, the V stands for version. Mm. So that might mean there are other versions and why. And I began to look through, and I've told people that, you know, just kind of give them an overview real quick. And I began to look through that and go, okay, so what's the difference in the versions? Um, do we have the original you know what if we're the king we, james the original mm -hmm. and then you kind of go from the king it, james the you go to the nearly expired yeah 1611 and, the, um, and then there was another well you, you've got this the, uh, revised standard okay and, and then you know the you know when the niv came along that was the nearly inspired nearly yes, yes and then there's the evil versions you know but but honestly over time as i began to realize if you look at the agreement of those, and you begin to study a little bit differently for yourself, and you start to look at those, and they parallel. We have parallel Bibles, you know. Um, but I recommend ESV because that's what we teach from here. That's generally the standard what it is. But I've also told them that you know, New King James Version was the first one that I went to off of the KJV. Because so it was close. It was close, and I didn't feel quite so sinful. And you can put your you can put your thumb over the word new. I, I did. I put it over new, and I was like, oh, okay. And I began to understand a little bit more and better. And it was it was really good. And it was as I started to step out and, and look at that. And you know, we've laughed a lot about reading the message. We've you know laughed with Brian and over the years and stuff. Even as we've talked through. Um, those different versions, but it, it's it's amazing when you begin to look at how the agreement happens over 66 books, over thousands of years, over people who put this all together, and the consistent message is the one of God's redeeming plan, you know. So what do you tell people? When, so I'm unsimilar to Donna's in terms of uh, growing up, actually, in, in elementary school, went to Christian school, same Christian school you went to and grew up in. Uh, it was you know, many years later, but uh, same school. He went so, but then their curriculum was King James, was King James version, and so that's and was, you know when you're taught Bible daily and have Bible class daily, like that's what we read and that's what we were taught. But it wasn't, at least from my experience, it wasn't like this is this is the only way, and there's really nothing else. That's just what the curriculum taught, and so I will say that like that pushed me to know more and to try to understand more and kind of have a, an earlier depth of scripture early. So I saw some benefits of that early, but by no means was I ever one that was going to be KJV only. 
Um, and so when I started kind of my youth pastor growing up used NIV. And so I kind of, I was kind of, kind of bounced around the NIV for a while. Uh, but then when I started moving into ministry, um, I really, really liked either the ESV or when, uh, Lifeway and the SBC redid the Holman Christian standard into the sure. Christian standard yeah, Bible. It's too. actually, it was, it's, it's good. really good. Yeah. And their study Bibles. I remember I have, I a, have one of those, I have a Spurgeon, one of the copies they did, uh, Spurgeon CSB Bible that is actually pretty fantastic. Um, so either one of those two, uh, I I used to preach out of the CSB when I came here just for um, consistency's sake. I swapped to the ESV and had no problem doing that. Uh, both they're actually pretty similar in a lot of ways. Um, well, a lot, a lot of the same editorial. Stuff yeah, ESV is probably CSB is is probably a little bit more modern in some ways in terms of the language of some things, um, and I think ES, ESV may have a little bit more. Um, not harshness, but a little probably a little bit more structure to it. While the while the CSB is maybe a little more easier to read, uh, I might say, but there's really not that much difference between the two. And so one of those two is where I would go. Uh, would probably recommend people to go to the ESV or the CSB. And again, like I said, the Holman Christian wasn't bad in the in the 2000s, but when Lifeway and the SB and the Southern Baptist Convention took that and redid that, they actually did a pretty good job of doing that. It's actually a really good resource. And I found it fascinating when I started asking the questions. You know, and I was probably Matt, I was probably close to your age before I started. I mean, I know I'm just barely hit of you now, but uh, <laughs> but as I started hit about your age, and I started really asking those questions, and I started look at the um, background of where the translations originally came from. How far back do the earliest transcripts we have how you know what were they dated from and how do we know that this is real and it was fascinating and mm-hmm. i would encourage anybody who's out there and listening to us you know go back and look start asking the questions and look at that especially if you have any interest in history um, because it, it's it's wonderful to watch because one of the defenses that was offered up to me um, in the years that I was growing up for the King James Version was that those people who wrote the KJV, they were inspired by God, you know, to do that, that they were called upon by God. There was this sort of, I don't know if they went around with a golden aura around them or what, but as I began to look at it, I thought, so nobody since then has had a deep desire to understand God Not or no. find the person. earliest nope. transcripts. Mm-hmm. It was only that one group <laughs> right. in the 1600s or, you know, late 1500s as they were working towards that. Um, they were the only ones who really had a genuine desire to understand and get it to where people could read it. And then you go back and you read about martyrs and, you know, all the people who worked through the years to get this translated so that the common man has full access to God. And you constantly think of now missionaries and teachers who are constantly trying to make translations into uh, people groups that don't have a translation in their natural language, so they're not inspired. They're no, not. They, call- they need to learn English. They, <laughs> they're not. English. They're not called by God to to translate that no. into somebody's language. Like that's not. We're, we've got to take them from whatever their language is back to old English, and <laughs> no. then we can give them a KJV. And as then if that we can process is it already yes. hard enough? Like yes. I mean, I'm just saying, like in, in context now. And another thing, like, and I jokingly said the message earlier. No, and I'm not saying that I'm, I will probably never ever preach from the message. But like, I guess I'm pro- you, I would never you, ever teach you're from ta- it. But you were talking but... about the history of things. Well, knowing the history. History of, of how Eugene wrote the message is really cool. Like he's writing it to everyday grind coal miners so they can understand scripture and kind of know how that's going. And so when I know that, it's like, wow, okay, this is I I see what he did. I see what he was, I, trying, I see to what he was trying to do. Yeah. And when you read his other, like, so he a lot of people use that and give him a bad rap. When you look at, at the rest of his works and his books, some of his stuff is actually pretty incredible. Uh, his his the the way that he would that the Holy Spirit worked in his life and how in tune I, I, from what I've read from him, he was with the Holy Spirit is pretty incredible. 
and uh, and so when I look at the, like you were talking about the history of some of those different translations, we get some of them. Some of them get a bad rap, and I have made the joke about the message more times than I can count because it's a fun one to go to. But when I look at the context of that and what he was actually trying to do in writing that, no, I'm not going to stand up here and and preach from that. But that wasn't his. That wasn't what that was written for. I don't believe. Like it, it's written for that he could share that with people who needed for it to be shared to. It was kind of like his own memoir memoir of it, not necessarily. Um, him his say, him his say, intent yeah, of what he was writing I, I was I don't think that he was rewriting, message, yeah. okay, this is the new Bible. I think he was trying to use it. As, he was trying to phrase things as a tool so that the people he was trying to minister to could be ministered to. And I, I think that, that that brings us to, <clears throat> and when people ask me what translation to that they should read, I usually say it doesn't matter, just read it. Um, fair point. Just <laughs> read I mean, you're what right, you yeah. got. Yeah. So... But it is important to, to, to recognize that there are two different and distinctly different translate translation methodologies. One is called a word for word. Anytime you go from one language to the next one, there's going to be words that are difficult to translate. Right. Um, propitiation, we don't have any equivalent concept or construct in English. So it would be a paragraph to translate that word. So bad baptize the the in the, the sixteen eleven translators really struggled with the fact that the Greek word for baptize means underneath something, and yet they were in a religion that was sprinkling people, and so oh. they punted on translating it and just introduced to the English English language a new word. They took the Greek word and anglicized it and said baptizo, you got your baptism. There you go, bam. And so it, it, I'm not in trouble then with the upper echelon of my <laughs> faith. So a word-for-word -word translation is going through the original language and trying to, even if it's awkward in English, to translate it word-for-word, -word, which is why some of those turn of phrases that we, that we now think of as beautiful in the King James, um, I mean, I don't care how modern you're trying to make something. The verse that says Jesus wept doesn't read right if it says, and Jesus cried. It just doesn't. That he Jesus wept. I remember because uh, <laughs> there's a there's such a in the word wept. That's not crying. That, there's it's, a depth it's, of feeling it's, that it portrays. Not, it's just not yeah. like you can cry when you read a Hallmark card. You don't weep when you read a Hallmark card. Right. Most people don't. My dad sometimes does, but you don't necessarily <laughs> weep when you read a Hallmark card. You know, there's a there's some depth to that that some translations capture better than other translations sure, do. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. And so, so, like the ESV tries to bring some of the majesty yes. across. And this kind of something when I say it's, it's got a little more of that depth and structure feel to it than some other ones yeah, do. Yeah, and there's some of the beauty of the, KJ, the KJV that I love when I'm going back and reading through Psalms or in, in those, you know, that you capture that in mm -hmm. that old English. Right, you know. and, and, and for example, in Romans chapter 6 in the King James it says... What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. In the ESV, it says, "Do we should we continue in sin? Never let it be. It's like, no, no. Yeah. No, God forbid. <laughs> oh, or, or, or at the end of 1 Corinthians where Paul in the, the King James says, quit ye like men. Yeah, you love that one. Oh, yes. <laughs> I want to grab a sword. I want to have my shield. Quit ye like men. In the ESV, it, it says, act like men. And I just, I, I, it's absolutely the correct thought. 
tagged like man. But I want it to say quit you like man. So that <laughs> like, in every Bible that I preach from in the bottom, because it's at the end of First Corinthians, there's always a little blank spot. I always write the KJV <laughs> of the whole verse out. Yeah. Um, so so a, a word for word translation is trying to do that. They're trying to take, even if it's awkward to say in English, uh, in, in words that are not translatable theological terms, usually they just transliterate them, just bring them over, and they leave it up to the, the preacher or teacher to deal with. A thought-for-thought thought translation, which would be the living Bible, the message, mm-hmm. it's trying to study that passage and then carry the thought that it was over. So you'll have examples of like in uh, the direct word-for-word translation, it would say that God is higher than Mount Zion because in the reader's mind, the first original audience, Mount Zion would have been the highest mountain they would have known of. Mm -hmm. So Eugene Peterson chooses to translate that as it's higher than Everest. Yeah. Because the thought that was trying to be brought across wasn't it's really high, but it's higher than anything you know. Mm -hmm. And so for a modern reader, now I would would have a problem with that because... Everest, nobody in that first century would have known what a Mount Everest was. First, I mean, Everest was a, a, a guy who was born in, like, you know, 1805. Yes, so, yes. but I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to go thought for thought. So that tells me that if I want to read the message, um, I'm going to recognize that I can't do word studies in the message. Yeah. Because it's, right. but, but if I want to get a general feel of what the text is saying, I, there is not a better translation on this earth than the way Eugene Peterson translates the first two chapters of Isaiah. Because if you read it in ESV, King, King James, New King James, it feels very stodgy um, where it, it says your, your, high, your high meetings, your, your uh, attendance together, I tire of these kind of a statement. Whereas in, in the message in Ephesians chapter one, it says your meetings, your meetings, your meetings. I'm sick to death of y'all getting together and calling out my name while you're turning around, stepping on your next door neighbor's face. That's the thought that Isaiah is putting some across. Of the, some of the context, or I mean, some of the, the way that the message reads, uh, when David is upset and broken and angry, and the way that, that Peterson captures that, captures the emotion of that, while it's not, it, it wouldn't have meant the same to that audience, the way that I read it is like, okay, now I kind of understand where David's, like I, I can, okay, now I see how David feels here when he's talking about some of the ways that, that David is is crying out or upset or, or questioning or whatever in some of the Psalms. Like some of that is actually really, really great in how some of the, how some of those, how, how Eugene captures some of those emotions or maybe it's just the way that he puts it in ways that I could, that my, that my mind and conversation kind of style language can understand, okay, this is what David's trying to say in the yeah. these and thous and shouts and And, and, and the, the, it's very similar to what we do. Is it not? As we're teaching God's word, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to take the emphasis on Mount Zion and I'm going to use something like Everest. Which is what he was doing. That's exactly what he was doing while teaching. as I'm preparing the mess or preparing whatever uh, teaching lesson message that I'm giving to those that God has given me to teach to, um, 
then I'm going to be going back to one that's a word for word right. as I'm trying to pull out the words, see what the original meaning was in the original language, you know, explore the depth sure. of it. So to make sure that I am true and accurate to what it is that God wanted to lay down before people, mm-hmm. you know. And, and we've always had versions like that. Um, I mean, the, the Phillips translation, which came out in the 50s, was trying to put the Bible in, in mod, modern language. There was the living Bible. Throughout church history, there have been things like that. The difference, I think, is is that they that's always been called a paraphrase, and with the message, it called itself, which could very well not have. Eugene Peterson could have had zero to do with what they called it. I think they from, called it a translation from, and not a paraphrase. From everything I've read, is when I think Zondervan bought that, bought the rights to what he had written from that. That's when it got turned into a translation. Well, Eugene, it was this was just these were just his thoughts and his thought for thought. When it got when those rights to that got sold to Zondervan, Zondervan kind of took that and changed that into this is another translation. Um, so my point I think is, is that they all have a place. And I think that God's word, because it's living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword comes through. And I mean, even in, you know, the worst translation, the the most modern, I, I don't know if most people know this because it's not put anywhere on the Bible, but there's a new, new international version that is, it's just marketed as the NIV, and it's not the NIV you grew up with. It's done things like attempted to be gender neutral. Yes. In reference to yes. God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's done things, and those kind of translations, I so would say. So it's not say, holding true to the no, original no, intent no, that, of and, that's, and yeah. that's not thought for thought or word for word. No. That is what you're. You're adding and or taking away and manipulating. You're trying to take cultural and norms this and is, trying to And that's apply. not what yeah. I think Peterson was doing or anyone else yeah, right. was written. Like, that's not what was happening. So we would want to stay away from anything like that. But, um, and, and you know what? Honestly, there are some difficulties in translation. So when I was even a kid, uh, mankind had no gender qualification. Mankind just meant everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, if... It would be common for people to 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 say use he as a pronoun to refer to everybody, mm-hmm. and whether that's right or wrong is immaterial. It was just understood, and so when in 1611, when the Bible was translated, uh, Aldelphos, which means womb bearer, so it has no gender connotation. It could be brothers and sisters, um, was translated as brothers over and over, mm-hmm. and so when the translators of the ESV sit down. Well, to say brothers and sisters sounds awkward. It sounds like you're being, you're trying to be uh, woke. You're trying to be woke. <laughs> to say womb share just sounds weird. <laughs> um, and so, h- how do you deal with that? So, what they chose to do was continue to say brothers. And then every time there's a note that says ancestors, a- ancestors, or uh, this word has no gender connotation. It can mean brother or sister. It just means sibling. And sibling would really be the closest thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or they. It could be they, it. Well, see, when you get into <laughs> they, and in the Bible you have lots of problems because in the King James, thou and thee means something different. Thee and thou, and I right now it just flew out of my brain. Thou is plural. The is singular you. Mm-hmm. And so when we went to modern translations, there are times when Jesus says things like, you, people right here, and then 
later in that same paragraph will say, all y'all. Yeah, it's, like, it's you and y'all. That's essentially what <laughs> it's he's describing. You and y'all. It, the it's and thou. you and it's, then it's y'all. The Southerners have always had it right. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah, yeah, we, we we to figure it out. <laughs> and when we know when we say all y'all. <laughs> and so it can change the meaning. All of yous. You, all yous. you and all y'all is two different meanings. Very, oh, yeah, very much different. so. Yes. So that in the 18th century, um, when the modern missionary movement started, there was a strong push against it because the Great Commission was to the disciples. We're not the disciples. It's not your play. In fact, it's uh, uh, Patton, when he announced to his church that he felt God calling him to go to the New Hebrides to preach the gospel, was told, and I quote, sit down, young man. God does not need you to reach the heathen. And so that was a, a mis- application of the Great Commission because of a misunderstanding of a plural you and a singular you that had huge impact yeah. on in church history. And so translators have to be really careful of that and they're, they're, they work through that and every translation is a little bit better in this area and a little bit worse in that area. And so what I do in sermon preparation, because I'm not an expert in Greek and I while I do use Greek tools, any foreign language, if you don't use it every day, you lose it. Right. And so what I try to do is usually just read it in multiple versions. I'll read the NIV. I'll read the ESV. I'll read the, uh, I'll read multiple translations and try to get a feel because those guys who are translators, literally that's what they do for a living. They're going to have a better understanding of ancient Greek than I'll ever have because that's what they do every day. Well, I remember last year when we talked about kind of the same thing, introducing this in the, when we were at the beginning of 2020, uh, we introduced the streetlights thing and streetlights yes. uses its new living translations, correct? Yeah. And so when they're reading, and so like I was talking earlier about how I read is like, okay, well, I read and I might write and I might listen. And so if I listen to street, cause I can't just listen to audio Bible cause th that makes me like, I'm going to sleep. Oh God. I'm taking a nap. But if I listen to streetlights, it's the NLT. And while I probably wouldn't choose to preach out of the NLT, it's a good resource and I can get it. I can kind of get the flow and kind of get the language of it and kind of get what it's saying. And if I use the ESV to read, or I may use, look at what it said in the KJV or whatever, it's another one of those things where I use it. Like you said, a multiple, a multitude of translations to try to help me wrap my brain around what is being said. And one of the, the, the audio Bibles that I like to listen to is actually re read by a, uh, it, it, it is a, um, dramatized, version and it's done by a group of Irish believers and so they all have that Irish brogue and I just do it <laughs> kind, kind, <laughs> kind of like what you're saying that if I'm listening to who is it Robert Skorsky who was the guy that that oh growing up you had the tapes and it was just yeah that wasn't me oh, that wasn't gosh. that was that wasn't my times <sighs> It's hard to listen Tapes. to. What's a tape? Is that a? It's an eight track. <laughs> yeah, an eight track. It's a, and Jesus said, <laughs> <laughs> that hard break on Flip that. Flip yes. reverse sides on it. Yes. <laughs> I do no, remember hey, that. Auto reverse. Man, or the, <laughs> <laughs> you take that cassette tape out, flip it over. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, those were the days, weren't they? Okay, um, so I have a controversial question for you. Here's my question for you. We've talked about reading it. We've talked about, you know, staying in it. We've mentioned this briefly. We've talked about translations. The next question becomes, there are a lot of people who use devotions. Instead of going directly to their Bible, they use their devotion to give them structure to what they're reading and, a, you know, kind of let somebody walk them through. Our How, daily bread. Our daily bread. Uh, my utmost for his highest, you know, but sure. there are some, where do you draw the line between those that are good 
and those who are misleading. Well, I, obviously, you know, I'm not going to get a Watchtower devotion and try to do my, my, my quiet time there. I think that they have their place. Um, we as a church distribute the, 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 uh, our daily bread. Um, I, for a year, did uh, morning and evening, which is more of Charles Spurgeon took um, text there, there's no, no personal notes. It's just text. He just divided up a morning devotion and an evening devotion. Um, but I think that those have their place. That is, okay, so if we use, Paul uses the analogy of food for the word. So he talks about, um, and the writer in Hebrews actually go, takes Paul's analogy a little bit further and says, uh, I, you're still on the baby milk. I want to teach you meat but you can't handle me. And so just like with a three month old, I can't sit a steak dinner in front of that child and expect him or her to do anything other than slobber on it. They, they just can't handle it. And if you were to cut it up finally and give it to them, they're just gonna throw it up. It, it's not gonna be helpful. And so I, if I take that analogy and run with it, then I would say that, that most devotions are like snackables. That you can live off of snackables, I mean, you, you survive. I mean, you, you won't die. Are you of, talking about Lunchables? L- Lunchables, yeah. Okay, okay. So, you Snackable, know. The Snackables are, the, are like the Dollar General brand. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. That's a Snackable. <laughs> so you can go to the store and buy these Lunchables. They're prefab. They, mm-hmm. they've, got the, mm-hmm. they've already got the cheese cut into little circles. The bologna. they got a little bologna in them <laughs> and a cracker. And so if I, there are times when I, I'm, you know, my, I'm behind with everything and I don't have time to make the kids lunch and I throw one of those at them. Them, and they run out the door with them, and that will get them through that lunch period without starvation. Hey, look, sometimes nothing hits differently than a little pizza lunchable. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I don't want one every day, but every once in a while, one is pretty good. It's but it, 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 if I was an athlete, which, again, Paul uses that analogy throughout, um, and I'm trying to eat in a way to prepare myself for an athletic event, if I'm trying to do that with lunchables, it's impossible. It cannot be done. And so... They have their place, but there's a lot of Christians who are living off of Lunchables and wondering why they get sick all the time and wondering why they don't have any strength in their life. And they're wondering why there's no power in their existence. And so it's, um, I mean, my mom keeps the My Daily Bread uh, sitting on the back of the toilet. It's great to just, hey, you got five minutes? (laughs) Yes, you can. I mean, you know, let's have a little refresher. Just have a little, have a little snack. Like well, a smoke break while you're. <laughs> that's right. So there you go. And so, and I know there are, there are some people in this, this church that as a way, almost as an appetizer, they use that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I have been critical sometimes to a fault of, of uh, the little, the devotionals. And I had someone who came to me and said, I, I use it as a way to transition my heart and mind from watching Jeopardy to doing my quiet time. I read that and that kind of gets me, it has a little prayer at the end of it. I, I, I meditate on that. And then I set it aside and do my quiet time. It's an appetizer to kind of get me ready to, and so if you're using it for that, absolutely. Um, but if you're trying to live off of it. You can't, you yeah. can't. And, and to take that food analogy and run with it, and I think we're probably going to have to close on this, and then we'll come back to this next week. If you're not doing anything structured, it's kind of like if I were to go to the grocery store and close my eyes and twirl around, and whatever my food my hand landed on, that's what I'm going to eat today. What if it's butter? Well, and sometimes that's the case. Yeah. 
that's an and there are genres that are used in the Bible that are butter. Yeah, they're ingredients, and so. I would survive that way. I'm not going to die of starvation if I did that. But wouldn't it be a whole lot better to have a plan and go in and get the ingredients that I need and have a meal? And so what we're trying to to help you get is a plan so that you can feast. I mean, I think a lot of Christians are spending their life living off of, of, of Snickers and Butterfingers. There are verses and places in the Bible that are sweet and they're awesome. And, but you know what? If that's all I'm doing and I'm not working my way through the verses that are convicting and painful to read, then I'm, I'm going to be anemic. I'm going to be sickly. I'm not going to have any strength in my life. And so what we as believers have to do, and, and it, it really bothers me. And I, to the point that about three years ago, I decided to start using it as an analogy. It hasn't cut down on the number of Christians who come to me and say, my Christian walk just has no power. I remember going to camp. I remember, and I always have some, you know, this revival, this thing. And I remember how close I felt to God the weeks after that. And I just have never been able to recapture that. And I want that again in my life. How do I get that? And I, I will ask them. I always ask them. So in the things that God's commanded us to do, that we've talked at the church a lot about in the wheel, how much time are you spending in the word? How much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you spending with other believers? How much time are you spending giving of yourself? And all of those will be zero to none. And then I'm like, how can you be shocked that your Christian walk is shipwrecked when you're not doing anything to feed yourself? I, it would be as if I, I was shocked that my phone constantly keeps cutting off because it's out of power, but I never take the time to hook it up to the charger. There's a correlation there. And if we don't feed on God's word, that is what God gave us as food. And in it, in God's word, we have steak and barbecue and hamburgers, and there's all the different kind of genres of food, and we need that. But if I only come on Sunday, the only time I'm exposed to God's word is when it's being preached and taught. What's going to sustain me on Thursday? And doesn't that all kind of come from a heart of where we find ourselves or I find myself when I have been in places where my Christian walk is not as strong or where I'm not doing the things that I should be. The disobedience comes from a place where it's rebellion that I'm in, that I still fight against God and I'm disobedient to his word because he's told me these are the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be studying and feeding myself. I'm supposed to be serving. I'm supposed to be meeting with fellow believers, all the disciplines of the faith that we've talked about. But I find that what happens there is that in my heart that I want to do it my way and my way does not always coincide with God's. I think part of it is, is rebellion. I think some of it is the enemy has done a really good job of making us so busy that we simply don't have time. Yeah, good well, point. I think, I, think, I think from dealing with students, and maybe this is uh, not a great job of, of, of people throughout dealing with students teaching this or, or, or whatever, I think there's just like this ignorance of, why well, I became a Christian and like everything's 
everything's still hard. Like everything still sucks. And you don't. You know? And, 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 and I'm still this. sinning. And, and, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I did. I took the magic potion. Like I, I, I ate the. What is it? I, I drank the Kool Aid. And right. I, and and it's you know things. My life still sucks. You know, like this isn't how that was. And it's like that's not. It's it's not it's 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 not a wish. It's not a it's not a get out of jail free card. It's not like it's not it's not what this is. And I think so many students, as well as probably adults, have this oh, idea absolutely. that it's just this like it's just take these and just eat these magic beans and everything's gonna be fine. Like because that's not what it is. There's you have because Paul talks about the grind and Paul talks about running a race and and all these things. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so if you're running in a marathon, like it's not just twenty God yards in a sprint. God didn't cast a spell on me where all. Yeah. Haven't we set that up though? Because I, 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 a thousand times sat in a church service where somebody got up behind the pulpit and said, okay, I was a, uh, I, I was addicted to crack and heroin. I, I, you know, went through a whore night. I, I, I did all this wicked, evil stuff. And it's almost like a contest to see who could be the most wicked. And then, and then I walked the aisle at this Baptist church and I got saved and God took all that away from me. And now I'm preaching. Yes. And I, I never wanted it again. I never tried to fight it again. I, can, I, I remember. You know what? In between that person, and Holy Spirit, maybe that's true. That and is if, not true. And if God did that work, so <laughs> be it. But I know my heart, and that is the furthest from the truth. That ain't it, Jesus. I can remember being 16, 17 years old, listening to a testimony like that and thinking, I'm not really saved because I still want to look at things that I'm not supposed to. I still want to lust. I still get mad. And so God hasn't get mad miracled me. I yeah, and, and some yeah. people get frustrated. I've, I can think of a conversation I've had with a student in this church who has said, I really struggle because like, I hear people's testimony, and my testimony is not like that. My testimony doesn't, there's not this night and day change. Like I just, I always kind of did the right things, but knew I was living a life outside of Jesus. And now I live a life and now I follow Jesus. And I follow him and, and do it. But my, my testimony is kind of boring. And I was like, what that, what? It's not a contest. It's <laughs> You're not, not supposed there's, there's to be not, the worst There's possible. not a dove award for who was the worst. Like that's not There is a dove no, award for who not. the worst. No, there's not. <laughs> and the award in 2020 <laughs> no. for the most disgusting pre-salvation life goes to. <laughs> not it. <laughs> the most heathen among all no. of us. Yeah. And so I think people have. It's like a contest. We all want to beat yeah. up all for the chief of sinners. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we've covered, I think, point one in my notes of <laughs> introduction, why God's Word's important. So next week on Not Another Church Podcast, we're going to come back to and look at um, some methods of reading. We're going to talk a little bit about genre and the different parts of the Bible. And I want us to talk about questions to ask of the Scripture as we read it so that it's not just the story. Mm -hmm. But And we're probably going to get through about half of that. <laughs> um, but that... This has been Not Another Church Podcast, and I, I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening, and go serve your team.